But ultimately, I believe if you have a role like this, your job as a marketer is to make it rain for the sales team. And when I say make it rain, it's not just about the money. It's also about the enthusiasm that comes from that, that sales guy saying, hey, you're making it rain for me. I'm Daniel. I'm the head of account-based marketing strategy for Phenonic. I'm a career marketer, as I think you guys will see in a moment. I have a passion for technology, creativity, process, and above all, I like to have fun. And I have an education in marketing, economics, and analytics. So if you read the abstract at all for, for this session, you might have seen me refer to myself as a five times B2B marketing installation expert. So what, what is that? Um, that's basically my career. And so if you look back at what I have been doing over the last 10 or so years, my first job out of school, I worked for a bootstrap startup. It was an <clears throat> interesting job. And I was their first hire, period, other than the guy who had the idea. My second job, I worked for a small business uh, that now has about 500 employees, and I was the first marketing hire. I was also the only other person other than the CEO with a college degree. But my job was to essentially create demand for their company, and it started with a website. I went from that job to work for a Fortune 200 manufacturer, uh, where I was the first digital marketing hire at this operating company, and the first kind of demand gen hire as well, building it from the ground up. And when I left there, we had about uh, 16 people. Then I moved to a Fortune 500 manufacturer doing similar stuff, but my job was to convert their legacy creative teams and interactive teams and web teams to an actual demand gen integrated marketing team. And when I left that, we had about 35 people. And now I work for what I call a world-changing startup, and that's a whole other conversation. But I was the first demand gen marketer there. And this presentation is, I think, a pretty good narrative on the evolution of, of measuring marketing and marketing success and how that came to be. So, making it rain. <clears throat> These web leads are like gold. Daniel's making it rain over here. This was a major inflection point for me. When I started uh, my first job out of school, or actually I guess it was my second job out of school, this is what a sales guy said to me after a website launched, and it totally changed my perspective on what I was doing. I think we were generating like seven leads a week, and he was just so happy with the quality of the leads coming off the website, and it just... I was young and impressionable, and I was like, oh, these guys love me. And my whole job became about how can I make the sales team love me as I'm, as I'm generating these leads. So as I'm talking about marketing, the kinds of functions that I'm talking about today, because I know marketing means a lot of things to a lot of people, I'm talking about demand generation, lead generation, ABM, digital marketing, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> but ultimately, I believe if you have a role like this, your job as a marketer is to make it rain for the sales team. And when I say make it rain, it's not just about the money. It's also about the enthusiasm that comes from that, that sales guy saying, hey, you're making it rain for me. And I really want to make that point today. So as I'm talking about the evolution of B2B marketing, <clears throat> I think about that a lot as how we've been measuring it really mirrors how we're doing it. And as the technologies have come along to solve these problems, it's changed what we're able to measure and how we're measuring it. But ultimately, as a, as a demand generator or a marketer, you're driving hard. You're trying to achieve success. You run into some kind of problem. You have to innovate around that problem. And a lot of times that innovation is, is some kind of software or technology that you're bringing in to solve that problem. Could be process. Then you achieve the pinnacle of the success for where you're at, and you're driving hard again because now you've proven you can do it, and you've got to do it harder. And for me, as I think about it, I started thinking back through what my roles have been. A lot of it has kind of started with this progression of, hey, I'm doing lead generation. Now I'm doing demand generation. Now I'm doing integrated marketing. And now I'm doing account-based marketing. 
And I believe it's a very, it's actually a fairly linear process, and that's what I want to walk through today. So lead generation, what am I talking about when I say lead generation? You know, lead generation is basically marketers aggregating data from wherever they can and pouring it in the top of the funnel. It could be a booth scan. It could be a web inquiry. It could be your sales guy's Rolodex. It could be whatever it is. But you're focused on getting as, much, as many quality as possible uh, prospects into your funnel, and you're just pouring them in. And maybe you're measuring unqualified. Maybe you're measuring qualified. Maybe you're measuring win rate. But lead generation is about volume. And, and what, what comes from that is you have all of this data, and then MarTech comes along and makes it very accessible for you to action that data. But at the time when I was doing this, there wasn't technology or as much resolution into the funnel to understand, okay, I dumped this lead into the funnel. Well, what happened to it? And so the holy grail became, hey, how do I know what happened to my lead once I put it in the funnel? And you're trying to really understand, you know, what am I getting for this, for this lead? And so the big challenges you run into are things like, I've got tons of waste in my funnel. You know, things like, I've got super low confidence that this tactic is actually working. You've got a really high risk of a bad customer experience. I mean, how many times have you heard, you know, somebody fills out a form on your website and you either don't call them back or you call them back three weeks later or whatever, and there's all that research several years back about, you know, you got to call them within five minutes to, to get the deal or, or whatever. And then there's a huge high risk between fallout between marketing and sales. You know, you're just going to lose so much in between them. And so you get this commonly heard phrase, 99% of leads are garbage. And that's because in a lead generation model, 99% of your leads are garbage. So the big inflection point for me was in 2012, I ran this lead generation campaign. It was kind of the pinnacle of my lead generation. And in the first 30 days, we generated a lead that represented 110% of every possible buyer in the market. You can't have more buyers in the market than there are more, more buyers in the market. And we had finally reached that threshold of leads where we finally were able to understand there's no way these are all real leads. These are not all relevant because the market is just not that big. You know, so we, we, we achieved kind of that maximum utilization of lead gen. And that's where it really took me to demand gen. And for me, demand gen really became about relevancy. And it's not just relevancy for the, the end user, but it's relevancy for the sales team. It's relevancy for your activities. And you're starting to think a lot more about the customer life cycle, which is not coming up. That's weird. <clears throat> So that, that chart is supposed to be the customer lifecycle. So you're, you're thinking about you know, driving traffic, converting them to prospects, converting them to MQLs. You know, what's their experience pre-purchase, post-purchase? You know, what's their experiences they're advocating? And the marketer is trying to engage the, 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 the demand unit or the demand record through each stage of the lifecycle. So your metrics start becoming about pipeline growth, not just on the top, but also you know, inside of the funnel. You're thinking a lot about buyer journey. You're starting to write content for the buyer journey. You're thinking about the buyer journey. And you're trying to influence that entire life cycle. So your measurement, you might now have more resolution into your funnel. You're looking at raw leads or you're looking at marketing qualified leads or sales qualified leads because you have some level of threshold before you're going to pass it off to sales. And you might also now be measuring the dollar value associated with that pipeline. <clears throat> so you're starting to think, okay, I don't have 10 leads. I have a million dollars of pipeline. And you're now getting a lot of pressure on revenue contribution. And what's happened is as, as you move from lead gen to demand gen to get more relevant, you have more technology and you have more costs or you might have more staff. So your budget is going up. Maybe you're stealing budget from IT or, or from sales or whatever. And so now you have a much bigger target on your back to actually generate revenue, which is where that, in my opinion, comes from.
So what has happened is demand gen brought a lot of technology and a lot of analytics to better understand and a lot of automation with things like lead scoring and uh, things like um, nurturing to, to try to convert people in the funnel. And also along with this, the customer expectation is changing because they are now much more likely to be learning and buying online. You know, whether, whether you're selling a million dollar deal or a $10 deal, it's very much more likely at this phase of it, you know, this was several years back now, that people were doing their research online. So some of the challenges you started running into is now you're crushing it on generating these leads and they're relevant, but your sales team just doesn't have the bandwidth to handle those leads. Also, you're crushing your demand gen, but maybe your brand or your social or your customer experience is not delivering that same experience because you're not integrated. You know, so what the customers experience when they're dealing with your demand gen is not necessarily what they're experiencing when they're dealing with their service org or, or the sales team. And even more pressure on ROI. You know, and now, now that you have the tools to do this measurement, you, your, your executive team now knows that you should be able to tell them how much money you're making. And I think when I think about what commonly is said for people who are at this stage, it's things like trade shows are dead. I mean, how many times have you heard trade shows are dead? A lot of people believe trade shows are dead. And trade shows might be dead for you, for your vertical, or for this account. But I think that this idea that an entire what was once a legit strategy is now dead, it's just indicative of not clearly understanding where are your customers and what are your customers doing, and is this tactic a valuable tactic? And I'll speak to that in a moment. So the, the big inflection point for me coming out of Demand Gen was in 2014, I ran a Demand Gen campaign, super proud of it. It was one of my, my favorite campaigns. We generated 114 sales-ready leads. These were people who raised their hand and said, I want to talk to sales at this time, this date, uh, about a product. Those leads were $200 a piece is how much they cost us, and they had a $12,500 ASP, which means it was over a million dollars of highly qualified funnel. And 0% of them got called back by sales, 0%. And I called my boss, and I called the head of sales, and I got him in the conference room. I can still remember this. I said, Bob, why are we not calling these leads? And he said, they're not my priority. That's great, but they're not my priority. And I, and I just, like, I, I, I almost cried over this. I mean, I'm still emotional over how this went because we had killed it. We had spent all this money. We generated all these leads, and they weren't going to call them back. So in comes integrated marketing along this path, and Really what has happened with integrated marketing is people are getting really good at using the technology and, and they're getting really good at measuring what's happening. And so they're trying to fold other areas of the business or other areas of, of marketing into what they're doing. And they're trying to meet customers where they are because customers are more and more and more expecting this experience that's relevant to them. And so you start measuring things like marketing influence and how it's influencing across the, the funnel and across the whole experience. You start having a much higher focus on the customer experience overall, and you start thinking a lot about engagement and how, which accounts are engaging, which people are engaging, how are they engaging, and stuff like that. And you might get a campaign plan that looks something like this, where you've got your organic and your paid social and your press and your events and your sales enablement all on one plan. And what has happened from this is... Uh, Integrated marketing has taken the best from demand gen and applied it to the broader business. And they're also, it has also done a lot to improve that customer experience. But what didn't happen with integrated marketing is we still have the problem of sales alignment persisting. And now that you have such, so much higher performance and you're so focused on that customer experience, the problem of sales, the sales being aligned is kind of get, get swept under the rug a little bit. And... And now you're really much more focused on customer experience. And so 
I think when you get to this point, your, your main problem is that sales is not scoped for your volume. And what do I mean by that? I mean that if, if your sales team has a plan to hit their quarter, and it's the end of the quarter, and they're killing it, and they don't know where they're going to get their numbers from, they're going to follow their plan. They're not going to do whatever marketing asks them to do because they're trying to hit that number and they're trying to hit that plan. And they're just not, they just may or may not be able to hit your numbers. And also, if you are killing it and delivering a whole bunch of leads, you may, they may not have scoped their team to actually receive all those leads from you. So alongside that, you also now have a much clearer understanding of the cost per acquisition because you have the technology and you clearly understand what you're doing with it. So you know how much you're spending on all these leads, and that means you know how much you're losing every time they don't get called back. You also have really high infrastructure costs to, to run all these platforms, and so you need the throughput to justify it. I mean, I think about it like a factory. You just built a factory. That factory can crank out some volume. If you don't have the right throughput on that factory, that cost goes way up per unit that you're cranking out. And so you got to get lots of efficiency out of that. And then I think from the customer's perspective, one of the things that has changed in this progression is people are now super data savvy. People know that you have their data, they know what you can do with it, and they expect you to treat it responsibly. And so some of the abuse that you might have had in the past with data, and maybe you still get, people are much more aware of this now. And, and there's a lot of research that says people will give you their data if, you, if they think you're going to treat it well, but there's a lot more challenge around that data. But I think when you get out of when you get into this phase, the most common thing that I hear from sales is that this is not my priority. And so a great example of this, or the inflection point, so to speak, for me on this, was in 2018 I ran an integrated marketing campaign, converted 22% of the total addressable market, 22% of every business that we wanted to convert. We had an opportunity in the funnel for that account. 22, uh, uh, 90 days into it, an opportunity at 22%, <clears throat> and only 27% of these leads, of these sales accepted leads, these were date, time appointments at a target account that we wanted to convert, and it was an opportunity, we knew they were buying, and only 27% of them got called back. In this case, it's not because the sales guy didn't want to call them back, it's because there was only two sales guys, and they just literally could not call them all back. So you still have this fundamental misalignment that's, that's killing your efficiency. So enter account-based marketing. And I kind of broke this into account-based marketing 1.0 and 2.0. And with account-based marketing, you now have the technology. The technology has caught up. You can say exactly what you want to exactly who you want to say it to, exactly when you want to say it, and an exact count where you want to say it. So it has totally changed the way your budget works. Before, when you might have been spending $15,000 a month on ad spend for pay-per-click, now you can spend $600 a month on ad spend through your ABM display. It's a totally different equation, you know, but, and still get the leads that you want to get. So your critical metrics are now also thinking not only about pipeline generation, but also about acceleration. How can I get that deal faster? And you're also very focused on eliminating waste from your process and from that technical execution. You know, I'm always looking for, hey, how can I spend less money on this so I can have more money to do that? And your goal is very much about prioritization. And when I say prioritization, I should have put time prioritization here. You know, for me, the most valuable resource has rapidly become time. It's not budget anymore because I actually need less budget to do as well as I was doing before. Uh, don't, don't tell my boss that. But I don't have any more time in my day. So, you know, it becomes a, a whole different equation. So, from my perspective, account-based marketing has dramatically shifted the, the ratio in your budget in terms of campaign fuel is what I'm calling it here, like ad spend or outbound calling dollars or whatever, and campaign assets like content and technology. But also, because you're, because you're aligning somewhat with sales on the front end and how you're picking your accounts, 
how sales is receiving output from you is totally different. You know, they, they now are expecting the lead from the account, you know, so they're much more likely to call it back. And your variable cost per lead is comparatively low to other tactics because that ad spend is so much lower, I mean, aside from the fixed costs of the platforms. But now what you're running into is that marketing can't scale. How do you get more one-to-one campaigns out? Or how do you get more uh, accounts targeted? You know, and so now you've got this massive infrastructure that you've got to pay for, and the marketing throughput, like all the efficiencies you were getting in throughput before that you were losing at the bottom of the funnel, those are all gone because it's not a volume game anymore. It's now, it's now a quality game. And so it shifts a little bit. And then also one of the things that I hear a lot is that it's very hard for a marketer to tell their boss or their boss's boss that last year's target was 100 leads and this year's target is 10. You know, and that's what you're saying when you go to ABM. You're saying, hey, maybe, maybe let's, let's go 10,000 or 1,000. That's probably more realistic. Or actually at my last, my last company, it was 2 million leads in the year was what we were trying to get, 2 million. And so go from 2 million to something like 2,000. Good luck trying to sell that to your boss who doesn't know anything about what you're doing. So that's, that's a significant challenge for, for a lot of marketers. And also, now that you have this technology you know, that, that tells you what's touching what and how, how you're generating this, you have a lot more visibility into what am I missing? And you have a lot less ability to action your sales team if you don't have the alignment that you need to do that. And I think when I'm talking to marketers today, something that tells me that you're still at 1.0, and there's nothing wrong with 1.0, it's just 1.0, is you're still trying to figure out how to pick your accounts. If you still don't know how to pick your accounts, you're probably somewhere in ABM 1.0. So the inflection point for me on this was I ran an ABM 1.0 campaign that generated $10 million of sales in four months. I actually won an award for it last year. I was very excited about it. But we left 60% of the market totally untouched. 60% of the market. So was that good or was that not good? It was great on old standards. It's not good on new standards because I could have gotten, theoretically, 100%. And I've heard marketers today already talking about 95% win rates and stuff like that. So that's the fundamental problem with 1.0. And what marketers have found is through the, the magic that is the early success and the early alignment that you had to get is that ABM is not a tactic. It's a business transformation you know, it is not, it's not I'm going to layer this onto what I'm doing. It's a totally different way of thinking about how you're approaching it. And, an, and from a critical metrics perspective, I didn't put metrics. I put it needs to be shared with sales. And, it, and I think some people get hung up on this, like, how do I get aligned metrics with sales? Well, we do it at the campaign brief. We do it when the campaign brief kicks off. We, we sign off on metrics before the campaign kicks off on a, on a campaign-by-campaign basis with our sales partners. And sometimes you might have other, uh, other stakeholders like customer service or something like that in, in, the, in the mix. But the point is, get alignment on the metrics before you launch the campaign. And so you know, you're very focused on scale uh, because you, you now have learned from 1.0 that this stuff works, and you're trying, you're trying to scale that up. And you're very focused on hyper-growth because if you could crush it on 1.0, what could you do if you're at 2.0? And I put a Salesforce dashboard up here. This is just like a generic one, mainly because I wanted to make the point that a lot of times it's about having the data, understanding the data, and being able to share the data between the teams. And I do that with Salesforce. So account-based marketing has really become a very cross-functional alignment game. And it's a lot about bringing your partners to the front to get sign-off on things like, what tactics are you going to run? What content are you going to build? What's your targeting going to look like? What kind of output are you going to get from this campaign? You know, you should have those questions answered before you launch. Because if you don't, you're going to run into efficiency problems later on because of your alignment. 
And so with that, then you have stronger collaboration re reinforced by that flow of information and you get a better result. So 100% of your output is now actionable. Every lead you generate, sales wants to call and they're ready to call them. You have best-in-class customer experience because your customers are having a common experience across what you're doing. And you're maximizing your marketing dollars as best as possible. And like, we'll move uh, uh, accounts in and out of campaigns all the time based on who sales says we should be targeting this week or how that account's changing or whatever. So if you can pull the lever up 20x on spend on a certain account in a certain week because certain something is happening, that's, that's great, right? You can scale down this guy, ramp up this guy's spend because you know you have a meeting going on there. So that, that collaboration is very important with sales to understand who you're targeting and what you're doing. So then the question becomes, how can we go faster? And that's what I get all the time. It's like, this is great. These, these are awesome. How can we do more? And it's like, well, thank you for acknowledging that, but I have no idea how we're going to go faster. So, uh, so you know, the, I bring it back full circle to make it rain. And I think when you have that alignment and you understand the technology that can do it, you really can generate the lead or the business where you want, when you want, for as long as you want. And, and, and I think really it's important to make the point on the enthusiasm with sales. If sales, if you're not best friends with your sales team, if they don't love what you're giving, you, you're giving them, then there's a disconnect. So I didn't want to come here and not talk about marketing technology as well. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen this slide or infographic. This is Chief Martech's marketing technology landscape. And there's like 12,500 marketing technologies on here. And when I look at these logos, I think every one of those technologies represents a problem that a marketer was trying to solve. <laughs> you know, you think about that innovation cycle, you know, drive success, run into a problem, innovate around it. These companies were invented to solve those problems, basically. And so what I'm doing at Phenonic right now, <clears throat> this technology stack is, is not earth-shattering, really different from what a lot of people you're going to see. But one of the points I really wanted to make is to really kill ABM. I don't actually need as much technology as I once needed. And I think this is a really important slide. I'm not saying I don't have other technology to do other things. I'm saying to kill my ABM, I don't actually need as much technology as I used to need. And there's two reasons for that. One, in order to be able to automate and or use AI to do anything, you need data. And you need clean data. And the more complicated your tech stack is, the more complicated it is going to be to get that data out. So a lot of vendors, like Terminus and Salesforce and others, have done a great job of bringing platforms together to help that make that job easier for you. But also as a marketer, if you want to achieve that scale in the long run and that automation, you're going to have to get a handle on your data. And it's a lot easier to do that when your stack is more consolidated. And the second reason is user or customer experience and content experience. I personally believe that the, the shift, that budget shift from campaign fuel to content and technology, as you slim down your stack and you are able to save money out of your budget, Things like differentiated content experience are going to become, that pendulum's going to swing back to content as king. I mean, how many times have you heard that? And sometimes you need some more technology to get there, and sometimes you need the content to get there. And I think that having excellent content experience is going to become a bigger focus in the next several years as people are getting much better at targeting basically the execution side of it. So what I wanted to say about that is that ultimately I believe you should be measuring your technology utilization and you should start consolidating or looking for opportunities to consolidate. Because I'm not saying eliminate your budget. I'm saying shift your budget and think about how you might be able to do that. And you might not be there now, but just think about it. Because if you can save $30,000 on a piece of technology and put that into something else to crush the 10 accounts that you need to crush, maybe you should think about that. I mean, and also, you need a lot of throughput through all this technology to justify all this cost of this technology. So just think about it.
So I didn't want to have a conversation about measurement without talking about measurement, but I kind of, I kind of peppered measurement in along the way because I wanted this to be more uh, conversational. But my main point for that is I can't tell you what your metric should be. Nobody can tell you what your metric should be. Like, you don't know, nobody knows your business like you know your business, you know. And, you know, some, I, you see these posts like, are vanity metrics dead or are leads dead? You know, it really depends on who your boss is, <laughs> you know. If your boss wants to see bounce rate on your website, well, you better have bounce rate on your website, right? Like, you just need that, you know. Maybe, maybe not everybody else needs that. So what I really wanted to say is that I believe you should have two to five of each of these you should have two to five metrics, two to five KPIs, and two to five TTIs. You can do whatever you want, but a metric is going to be something like a leading or a trailing indicator that helps you measure the weather, so to speak. A good example of that is something like traffic on your website, right? You're not going to make massive changes on that, I mean, outside of like, you know, paying for that. You know, but if you see your traffic drop, drop off, fall off a cliff, you know you have a problem, you can start thinking about that. That's just an example of what a metric might be. A KPI is something that if it went wrong today, you need to urgently fix it now. And, you know, I was trying to think about what a good one would be that would be relevant to everyone ahead of this. The best one I could come up with, which is not a very good one, is if your email deliverability goes from 98% to 40%, you have a serious problem and you need to solve that right now. Like, that might not be the right KPI for you, but that's an illustration of it, right? And a target to improve is something, hey, I know I'm good at this. I'm really good at this. Well, put a stretch goal on that because there's no reason why you couldn't be better at that. And so that's how, that's how I kind of break down what I'm focused on. And I think if you give yourself a good spread, you can start getting yourself down that path. But one of the really important points I want to make is that ABM output is just different. It's just different. It's not the same as demand gen or lead gen. It's a different type of output. And you should get educated on what that output is like, and you should define that output and align on it before you start. Because if you don't, your sales team, your executive team, they're not going to understand why you went from this to that. And it's a very important thing to do. But above all, the biggest thing I've learned through all of this is that you cannot be successful as a marketer if you're not working with sales. That is the ultimate magic of ABM, is the alignment that the process and the technology and the data brings to the table. And that is why you hear things like this is B2B. That's it. <laughs>